So we're in 1 John this morning, and we're, we're, we're back in this great epistle from the Apostle of Love. And we're going to see this morning, we're going to see principles for victory, five principles for victory in the in this scripture. It's a great section of scripture. It's rich, it's got depth, and it's a wonderful section of scripture on how to have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's what Jesus wants for each one of us. That's what the Word of God says we're supposed to live in, is victory. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He said, don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may what? what? There it is. That, you got, that you're going to win. And then it also says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, it says, but thanks be to God who gives us, here it is, who gives us the victory through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. We are, we're supposed to be victors. We're supposed to have winning going on spiritually through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 talks about this war we're in. And it says, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm. Notice, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's describing the war that every single Christian's in. And it's a spiritual war. There's demonic forces that want us to not be victorious, but to be victims. And there's demonic forces, an army against us, that wants us to live in defeat rather than in victory. But here's the good news. If God before us, Romans 8.31 tells us, if God before us, who could be against us? And I love verse 37. says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And so we know from the scriptures, from the word of God, we don't have to live as victims. We could have victory. But there's principles. There's principles we've got to grab onto. And there's principles we need to apply and not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word that live out these principles if we're going to live in this victory. And I'm going to give you five of them from the Apostle John. Again, Apostle John, the best friend of Jesus. He is the disciple Jesus especially loved. This guy is now in his 90s. He's already, he's already gone through Patmos, the island prison colony. He's probably already written the book of Revelation, and he's writing these last words to impart truth to the believers in Asia Minor and the believers here today in the 21st century, also us, because all scripture is inspired by God, useful for our teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. And we're going to get trained this morning in some righteousness in regards to how to live in victory through the word of God this morning. Some great scripture this morning on winning, on winning. Now, does that mean we're always going to win? No. Does that mean Pastor John always wins? No. But, but, I believe that as we apply the word of God, we're going to get more and more victories in our lives. And I, I don't know about you, but I want victory. I was studying this scripture this week, and I was grabbing onto this, the truths in this scripture we're looking at today, because Pastor John wants you to live in victory, and I want to live in victory too. And I'm going to help you this morning. With, with these words from the Apostle John, to have some more victories in our lives. Amen? Amen? Victories in our marriages. Victories with our kids. Victories in our war against Satan and the battles that we all face on a daily basis. Victories in our witness. Victories in our personal life. We're going to learn some things that will help us have these kind of victories this morning, right from the pen of the Apostle John and from the inspired word of God. If you're ready, say amen. amen. All right, let's jump in. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this. Uh, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself, look, look at this, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also, interesting, for those of the whole world. Now here's the first principle, first tool in our battle against demonic forces that want to defeat us. First tool is Jesus Christ is our advocate with the Father. And it calls Jesus Christ the righteous. And the scripture lays out that if we're going to win in this war we're facing, we need to have Jesus Christ as our advocate. And that starts the moment you receive Christ. The Bible says, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. And the moment you receive Christ, you're given Jesus Christ to be your advocate. And interesting, he starts this section out by saying, hey, little children, spiritual children, those, he's speaking to some people that he probably even led to Christ. I want to tell you, my second purpose in writing this letter is so that you will not sin. Now, does that mean you're not going to sin anymore if you apply these principles? No, that ain't going to happen until heaven. He's talking about practicing sin. And he's talking about living in sin, having a lifestyle of sin. You don't have to be there anymore as a Christian. You could have, you could have a lifestyle of holiness instead of sin anymore is what he's talking about. First purpose, back in chapter 1 of his writing this letter, was for more joy in the lives of the believers. Now in chapter 2, second purpose of him writing this letter is so that we would not live in a lifestyle of sin as followers of Jesus Christ. And interesting, as as he says, I'm writing this thing so you won't sin, and he says, but if you do sin, because remember in the last chapter, verses 8 and 10 of chapter 1, it says, if anyone says he's without sin, he's deceiving himself, and the truth is not in him. Verse 10 says, if anyone says he doesn't sin, he makes God a liar. Why? Because God said all of us sin. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he says, if you do sin, and you will sin as a Christian, he says, first thing you need to realize is you have an advocate. Interesting, the word advocate there, it means a defense attorney. I like that. And the illustration he's giving here is when we do sin, Jesus Christ represents us before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And I don't know about you, but one of the ways the devil works in my life is guilt and condemnation. And I'll do something stupid, and I'll sin, and I'll make a mistake, and that devil comes right in. He's the accuser of the brethren. Re- Revelation 12, 10 actually says, he stands before our God day and night. The train is saying amen to what I'm saying, by the way. You hear that? Amen. Woo! Amen. Woo! <laughs> there you go. Perfect timing. Amen. Jesus is our advocate. Woo! Amen. <laughs> but anyways, when I do something stupid and I sin... The devil comes in and he tries to condemn me. You know, I'll do something dumb. I'll get in an argument with Heidi. And I'll just get in the flesh. The devil comes in and says, yeah, you call yourself a pastor? You, even, you did that and you call yourself a pastor, Pastor John? Yeah. You call yourself a Christian and you act like that? And the condemnation comes in. And that's where I need to remember that, hey, the blood of Jesus, 1 John 1, 7, cleanses me from all my sin. And here's what the devil's goal is, to get us to live in, 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 in discouragement from our mistakes to the point that we just spiral and keep spiraling into more and more mistakes. Instead of doing like we talked about last week where he says, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just 
and then he forgives us of our sins, and then he cleanses us from our unrighteousness, and he gets us back on track again. And that's what we need to do, is don't forget that you have an advocate, and the advocate is Jesus Christ. And ultimately, when we stand before a holy God one day, it's not going to be about what we have done or how well we performed. It's going to be about what Jesus has already done on the cross for our sins. And when he said, it is finished, guess what? It's finished. It's paid in full. And what, what the devil is going to do is he's going to be the prosecutor. He's the prosecutor right now, and he'll be the prosecutor before God the Father, and he will condemn us before God the Father. And when I face the holy God at his throne, it is a throne of grace because Jesus Christ is going to stand in front of me, and he's going to go as my defense attorney to the Father who is holy, and he's going to say, hey, 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 Dad, that's cool too. My defense attorney, the main judge, is his dad. He's going to go, Dad, I'm standing as the advocate for John Hoppy. Yeah, he's done a lot of dumb things in his life. But, Dad, he received me as Savior and Lord. And, Dad, my sin cleanses John Hoppy, or my sin, my blood. <laughs> cleanses John Hoppy from all his sin. And dad, I died for him. And I'm gonna hear those words, enter now into the joy of your master. Because Jesus is my advocate, and if you receive Christ, he's at your advocate too. He is the best defense attorney that's ever lived. And it says that, and right in the scriptures, it says this, 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there's one God, one mediator, there it is, Jesus. One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 says, therefore he, Jesus, is able to save forever those who draw near to God, notice, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Wonderful. And God made him, who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.20, he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on my behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God as our advocate. And notice the next verse there, verse two, says he's not only our advocate, but he's also our propitiation. Now that's a big theological word, and it simply just means this, satisfaction. Satisfaction for what? Satisfaction for God's righteous requirements. God is just. He's, whole, he's loving, he's merciful, he's kind, but he's just. He must judge sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he became the propitiation, the satisfaction for God's righteous requirements. And because Jesus Christ is fully righteous and he died for our sins on the, on the cross, he is the propitiation. He is the satisfaction for God's righteous requirements. And notice, he died for the sins of the, notice, the whole world. What does that mean? It means the, everybody in the world has access to God's grace if they simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for every single person that's ever lived. And if people just make the decision to receive Christ, their sins are covered. They're propitiated. They're satisfied in God's holy standards. That's why it says in Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? I like what D.A. Carson said about this. Let's put the quote up on the, on the uh, screen. It says, if man doesn't experience forgiveness of sins, the fault is not in Christ's efficacy, but in man himself. Do you see that? It's just, if, if you don't get forgiveness of sins, you don't go to heaven, it's not God sending you to hell. It's you're rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord because he died for the sins of the whole world. That's one reason why I don't, I don't go with all the five points of Calvinism because one of the main points of Calvinism, of the five points, is limited atonement. And what they say and what Calvin said in his institutes is that Christ only died on the cross for uh, the elect. Disagree. Christ right here, we're told, died for the sins of what? The whole world. He didn't just die for the elect. Calvin also said in his, his institutes that God damns certain people to hell. I disagree. 2 Peter 3.9 says God doesn't want any to perish, but what? All to come to repentance. He died for the sins of the whole world. Amen? First point. You want victory? Remember, Jesus is the advocate. He represents you before God. Don't have to live in condemnation. Live in grace. He's your advocate, and he's the propitiation, the satisfaction for God's righteous requirements. Now let's go on, verse 3. And it says, by this we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word, God's word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we're in him. The one who says he abides in him, in Christ, ought himself to what? Walk in the same manner as he himself walked. Reminds me of those bracelets, right? Remember those, when that was the, a lot of Christians were getting those black bracelets? WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And what it's saying here, very simply, is if we're going to say we know Christ, let's walk the way he walked. If we say we know him, it says there, let's keep his commandments, now, the word know there, interesting word, it, it's gnosko in the Greek, and it means this. It means to know through experience and intimacy. It's similar to the Hebrew word when it said, Adam knew Eve, and they procreated. There's a, there's a, there's a, that word means intimacy and experiential knowledge. And it's saying that if you abide in Christ and have this abiding relationship and have this intimacy and this experiential knowledge of him, then if you're doing that, then live for him, man. Keep his commandments, right? And that's the second principle for victory. you got to move to the camp of people that say, I'm not going to just be a hearer of God's word. I'm going to be a doer. And that's the second key for victory is we need to develop a heart that's a heart of obedience to God. We want to obey his commands. Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Whether at home or absent, we make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. And if you're really walking with Christ and you've fully experienced his grace of what he did on the cross for your sins, how can you not have a heart that says, because he died for me, I want to live for him. 
I want to have a heart that, yeah, it's not going to be perfect. I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to do dumb things. But I'm going to be striving towards holiness. I'm going to be practicing Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness so he can add all things unto me. I'm going to be a person that's pursuing holiness at least. I'm going to be different than the rest of the world that's just living in their flesh because I want to keep his commandments because he died for me. And four times in these four verses we just read, it talks about knowing him, knowing him, knowing him. And if you really know him, the scripture is saying, then keep his commandments, man. Have a spirit of obedience. And I remember when I first got saved, started getting into the word, started having my quiet times, started having a relationship with Christ. It wasn't about trying to be good. It's just a part of walking with Christ. He starts getting a hold of your heart. He starts giving you a heart that changes. And instead of swearing, you're making sure your words are edifying and building up. Instead of going on and getting drunk with the rest of the world, you're saying, no, I don't do that anymore. Because I walk in the spirit, not the flesh. Instead of doing what the whole rest of the world is doing and going towards just the, as we're going to see later, the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, you're saying, no, 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 that's the way the world goes, but I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I'm going to be transformed by the renewal of my mind that I may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to be a person that's pursuing holiness, at least, and seeking for his kingdom and his righteousness. And there's victory in that. You know, I had two times in my spiritual journey where I thought, where I prayed the sinner's prayer. And I remember the first time. I was at a camp up in the Smoky Mountains. I was in gymnastics at the time. And I was at this gymnastics camp. And these other guys that were part of my team had gotten just recently saved. And they were on fire for Christ. And they were witnessing to me and stuff. And it was 1977. And we were up in the Smoky Mountains. And they told me, go down by that river over there and pray the sinner's prayer. And, and I just kind of got pushed into it. I didn't understand totally what the gospel was. So I went down to this little river. And I prayed the sinner's prayer. And I, I thought I got saved. But as soon as I got back to school... In, in, in my beginning of my junior year, I got back to my old friends. I got back to my old girlfriend. <laughs> I got back to my drunkenness on the weekends. I got to deception and lying and living in the flesh. I just kept living in the flesh. And then by the end of that junior year in high school, the Lord finally got my heart, and I understood the gospel fully. And then I prayed the, prayer, the sinner's prayer again. And you know what happened? I got saved. And I broke up with my girlfriend. <laughs> I don't, guys, don't, this is crazy. We broke up on prom night. Talk about a long ride home from prom. But it was, it was crazy. I mean, it, but the whole thing changed. I, I stopped doing the, the smoke and marijuana. That stopped immediately. I stopped drunk. As, I haven't been drunk or high t- uh, since I got saved in 1978 at 17 years old. Because God just changed. He changed my life. And it wasn't anything I did. It was Christ came into my heart, and I developed this relationship with him. And I said, the stupidness has got to stop. And I'm going to try to live by what I'm learning in the word. Try to live by this. And that's the second key to victory is we've got to develop hearts that say, I'm going to live for Christ because he died for me. And I'm going to have a spirit of obedience in my heart. And I'm going to do my best to learn his word, but not only learn his word, but to live his word. Live in obedience. Because I know him. I know Christ. And if you know him, you're going to want to keep his commandments, is what he's saying. And then let's go on. Verse 7, Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you've heard. 
On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you. He's flipping it now, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know what he's doing because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here's the third principle for victory. Number one, we need to realize that Christ is our advocate, our propitiation. Number two, we need to develop a heart that just wants to live for him, a spirit of obedience. But number three, we need to live in Christ's love. And what he's saying here is he starts off by saying, hey, I'm giving you this old commandment. Love one another. And that goes all the way back to Leviticus. I mean, in Leviticus uh, 19.18, we're told back in the Old Testament law, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19.18, right? So it's an old commandment. But then he flips it, the next verse, and says, but oh, it's a new commandment, too, to love one another. Why is that? Why is he almost contradicting himself? It's an old commandment, but hey, it's a new commandment, too. Because Jesus upped this new commandment. He said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also must love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. By what? Your love for one another. Do you see how Jesus upped it? He said, don't, don't just love your neighbor. Don't just love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor, <clears throat> what? As I have loved you. That's a whole nother level. How has Christ loved us? Sacrificially, selflessly, by dying on a cross for our sins. That's how he's loved us. And he says, just as I've sacrificed for you, just as I've, I've died for you, just as I've given everything for you, now you sacrifice for others. You serve others. And you love others as I have loved you. Wow, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. How do we do that? By being under the love of Christ. We love, we're going to learn later in First John, we love others because Christ first loves us, right? We're told in Romans chapter 5, verse uh, 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. But then in Romans 5, 5, it says, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And so here's what happens. You have this abiding relationship with Jesus and you come to know him intimately, experientially. And as you grow in this relationship with Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, he's going to be pouring his love into your heart and he's going to be enabling you to love others with the love that he loves you with. And that's why that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ is so important. You're never going to be able to love people with a Christ-like love unless you're sitting under the spout of God's love and Christ's love through a daily personal relationship and he's pouring that love into your heart. So important. Jesus made it clear, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If any man abides in me, I will abide in him and I will what? Produce much fruit. But apart from me, you could do nothing. Now, what does that have to do with, what does this love have to do with holiness? What does it have to do with victory over sin? Because if you're really loving others and you're living in God's love, you're going to sin less. 
Because what, what, what's the ultimate source of sin? It's selfishness. It's not loving people. Why do men have affairs on their wives? Selfishness instead of love. Why do employees steal from their employer? Selfishness rather than love. Why do, why do, why do people do all kinds of crazy, uh, crazy ventures, midlife crises, or well, how about drugs or alcohol? Why are we going in those directions? Because of selfishness rather than love for the people around us. We need to live in love. Jesus put it this way, the greatest commandment, Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest loss? He said real simple. He said, hey, just, this is the greatest commandment. This is what it's all about. Just love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. This is the first and foremost commandment. The second's like it. Love your neighbors yourself. On these two laws depend what? All the laws and all the prophets. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, hey, just love God with all you got and love other people as yourself and you can do whatever else you want to do. And I agree with that. If you're really loving God and you're loving people, you're going to keep his commandments. You're going to do whatever this book says because the source of keeping commandments and living in victory over sin is just living in God's love and loving him with all you got and loving your neighbor as yourself and you're going to keep his commandments. And you're going to be abiding in him and his love as you do that. But notice what it also says in those verses. If you don't do that, if you live in hate and you live in bitterness and you live in anger towards other people, here's what you're doing. You're living in darkness still. You're living like the rest of the world. Have you noticed that? The hate, the anger, the lawlessness that's out there? That's just a part of the flesh. And it's living in defeat rather than the victory. And we're to be living in the light. It's Jesus in the light. And we're to be living in that love. And the way we get that love is through that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Then it says in verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him. Here it is again. You know him, Gnosko, who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And I've written to you, children, because you know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you're strong. I like this. And the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the little one. Now, there's three classifications of people that John's talking about here. First of all, he starts out to say, I'm writing to you little children, those who have had their sins forgiven. That's, that's a classification for everybody. That's how he's addressing Christians. Little children right there is technon, and it's talking about born ones. And if you're a Christian, you've been born again, John chapter 3, right? You're a born one. Your sins are forgiven. But then he gives three classifications. He says, then there's fathers. Those that are spiritually mature. Those that have been walking with God, uh, God, God the Father from the beginning and know him from the beginning. Those that have spiritual maturity. Those are fathers. And then he says, and then there's young men. And I like what he says about young men. These are, these are Christians that have been walking and they're in that, that, that youth of their spiritual life still. But they're going on now because they're strong. And I like the, what he says there. And the word of God abides in them. And they've overcome the evil one. Those are the young men. Strong. But then the last classification, he says, and then there's also other children. I've written to you children because you know the Father. Now, that's a different Greek word. It's pedion. We get pediatrics from that word. And it means babies. And what it's saying is you got spiritually mature, you got people that are young but strong, word of God abiding in them, and then you got babies, spiritual babies. 
And I like that. I like the fact that on a regular basis here at Calvary Chapel, Lexington, we've got people coming to the faith and they're babies in Christ. And they're, they're, because you know what? Babies in Christ means God's moving and people are getting saved. And it means that there's, and the thing I, I love about spiritual infants too is there's a zeal there and there's an excitement there and they're learning all new things. Everything's new to them and it's awesome. Let's keep having spiritual babies here at Calvary Chapel. Amen? Let's be fruitful and multiplying spiritually. Amen? But as we see this, we see another key for victory. Why were, the, why were the young men strong? And why two times it says in those few verses, two times it says, and, and they overcome the evil one. What's the connection with being strong and overcoming the evil one? What were they doing? Look at the scripture. The word of God was abiding within them. Oh, you want to be strong? You want to have victory? You want to overcome the evil one? You got to get this book abiding in you. How do you do that? Psalm 1. How can the young man keep, or no, Psalm 1 says this. We are to be, no, Psalm 1 basically says we are to be like that tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither and whatever we do, we prosper, but it says we do that by delighting in God's word, what? Day and night. Do you, here's a question. Do you delight in God's word? I do. I love, one of my favorite times of the week is Saturday morning men's breakfast when we're opening up our swords and we're all as men of God. We're just studying God's word and talking about it and just, just getting it in our DNA of our spiritual lives. I love that. I love Sunday mornings. I, Sunday morning is one of the highlights of my time. I come, I come to church every Sunday morning with smiles on my face because I get to get in God's word with y'all. I love God's word. The reason why I love God's word, it gets in my soul and it keeps me strong and it helps me overcome the evil one. And I tell you what, I see that here at Calvary Chapel too. I love the fact that we are a bunch of people that love not only Jesus Christ, but we love God's word i got speakers that come here all the time, and they tell me they love to come to our conferences, and they love to speak for me on Sunday mornings, because when they come here, they, they, they just sense there's a hunger for God's Word here, and they love teaching you all, because you've got your Bibles open, and they have some have a late night, Saturday night, and you're like this, sometimes I get that, I see you out there, God bless you, have a good nap, but most of you, you have your Word open, and you're delighting in God's Word. And the word of God abides in you, and you're strong because of that, right? Now throw out that scripture we had up there that was the different psalm, Psalm 119, 9 through 11. That's the one right there, Aiden. How could a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I what? Treasured in my heart that what? I might not sin against thee, right? That's a key right there. That's a key to overcoming the evil one. How did Jesus win against the devil after he had been fasting for 40 days and the devil came on like a flood attacking him? He said three times, it is written. He had God's word memorized. It is written, it is written, it is written, and he won. God's word helps us win. But church, listen, you gotta be a person that delights in it, that loves it. And wants to study it. you got to be a person that just doesn't want to read it. You want to study it. You want to hear it taught as much as you can. You want to memorize as much of this word as you can. You get it in the DNA of your system. And then it says in the book of Hebrews, as you hunger and you get God's word in you, you learn how to discern 
good from evil and you're trained in it by God's word. This book, this book is strong in regards to the power of this book to overcome sin. It's awesome. And the more you get it in the DNA of your system, the more you get it memorized and studied and you delight in it, it becomes a part of your life. The more victory you're going to have, the more you're going to win. You know what my goal on Sunday mornings is? It's to whet your appetite. I want to feed you. Yeah, my job as pastor is to equip you in the righteousness through feeding you the word of God. But another one of my goals on Sunday morning is it's just an appetizer for your feasting the rest of the week on the word of God yourself. And as we open up this book and we get Sunday mornings, we get treasures and nuggets of truth from this book. I'm hoping it's just kind of whetting your appetite to get it into yourselves. Because I don't, my goal isn't just to get you to study the Word of God on Sunday mornings or with Mike on, Pastor Mike on Wednesday night. My goal is to get you studying every day of the week. My goal is that you be Bereans that search the Scriptures daily to see if even what I'm saying is true or not so you become students of God's Word yourself. Then you're going to get in the DNA of your life and you're going to win. Because how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to thy Word. Thy Word treasure in your heart that you might not sin against thee. Amen? So just think about that. When Pastor John's up here teaching, I'm giving you just an appetizer for the rest of the week. The main meal, I believe, the main meal of God's word should be your own personal study where you get in God's word. And notice, go back to Psalm 1, it says, you delight in God's law day and what? Night. My practice, every morning I get up and I read a portion of my scripture reading for the day, every morning. But every night before I go to bed with, with Heidi, I get into God's word again. And we have devotions as a couple, but I read some chapters at nighttime too. And listen, it's a great way to go to sleep. Spend some time in the word before you go to bed too. And then that's the last thing in your mind before you go to bed. Delight in God's law day and night. And you'll be like that tree planted by streams of water. Your leaf won't wither. Whatever you do will prosper. I love what it says in Joshua 1.8 about the importance of doing this too. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. Again, day and what? Night, so that you'll be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So let's close it up now. Verse 15, it says, don't love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, For all that's in the world, here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from where? The world. And notice verse 17. And the world is passing away, and also it's lusts, but the one who does the will of God, what? Abides forever. Now, the original translation there in the original Greek um, it can be translated this way. It's not just don't love the world. Literally translated, stop loving the world. That's exhortation. It's exhortation to Christians. Christians, stop loving the world. Now, what's the world? And you might be thinking, well, hold on a second. I thought John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. How are we supposed to love the things that God loves? That's talking about people. When it says stop loving the world, that's, the world is cosmos there in the Greek, and it means literally the world system that's around us. And who's in charge of the world system? Corinthians tells us that the God of this world is in charge, and he's blinding the minds of the disobedient. 
Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 tells us that he's the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. And we're not to be going with the prince of the power of the air. We're not to, again, be conformed to this world. This world is wicked. It's filled with three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Now listen, this is interesting because what it's telling us here is the three main tools Satan uses to defeat us is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And, and listen, it goes all the way back to the beginning. What did he do with Adam and Eve? Look, look, lust of the eyes, look at this apple that's good for you to eat, the lust of the flesh. And by the way, if you eat of this apple, Satan said this, if you eat of this apple, listen to what's going to happen. You could become like God, and you'll have all this knowledge. That's pride, isn't it? How about Jesus? When Jesus was being tempted after 40 days, what did Satan do? Same thing. You're hungry? Turn those stones into bread. That's the lust of the flesh. And then, then he took Jesus and he showed him all the kings of this world. And, and he, lust of the eyes. You saw all the kings of the world. He said, and if you bow down and worship me, Satan said, I'll give you all this stuff. And then he took Jesus to the top of the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, hey, if, original language, since you're the son of God, throw yourself down and prove to me you're your son of God. What's that? That's the pride of life. And you know what happens? Satan uses the same plays against us. He's got the same old playbook going all the way back to Genesis, going all the way back to Jesus' time. And listen, the Bible says we're to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, right? We're told in Corinthians also that uh, Paul says, hey, we're not unaware of Satan's schemes. And if we're going to win in this battle that we have against demons and Satan, we need to be wise up. We need to stop giving in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We need to stop loving the world. Because the world system will kill, steal, and destroy us. Jesus' system, go with him, he'll give you a life, and he'll give you a life abundantly. I choose Jesus. We need, and listen, this is an important topic right here. Because the world's just getting more worldly. And unfortunately, the church is getting more worldly too. And there's way too many Christians out there that are saying, praise the Lord on Sunday morning, and they're just living like the rest of the world the rest of the week. Praise the Lord, I'll go to church on Sunday morning. Hey, that's a part of living in the South. We're going to go to some church. We're going to, when those church doors are over, we'll be there. And please, don't stop coming to church. This is where we grow and we fellowship and we experience Jesus' presence and power. So church is important. But listen, if you're coming to church on Sunday morning and praising God on Sunday and you're living like the rest of the world the rest of the week, you're missing the boat. If you're coming to church on Sunday morning, praise the Lord, but then you get to work on Monday morning and you're swearing like everybody else, hey, let no unwholesome word proceed your mouth. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Stop talking like the world. If you're coming to church on Sunday morning and praising God on Sunday, but then you're getting drunk on the weekend like everybody else, stop loving the world. If you're coming to church on Sunday and praising God, praise the Lord, but you're living in lies and deception in the flesh all week, and don't, stop. Stop loving the world because the world has nothing to offer. It will beat you up and spit you out. Can you say amen to that? We've all experienced that, haven't we? There's nothing out there 
better than loving Jesus and living for Jesus. And the devil's goal is to use those three plays against you over and over again, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and pride to get you to fall. All three of my boys um, played varsity basketball for Lexington High School. And it was fun to watch because they all kind of went through the system. And same coach, Bailey Harris. Bailey Harris had been there for like 25 years when my boys played basketball for him. He didn't look that old because he's a runner and he stayed in good shape. But he had been there like 20-some years. He had won a, a number of state championships. But, you know, all three of my boys were part of it, the latter part of his career. And, and he didn't win a single state championship with any of my boys. I was like, come on, Bailey, win one for us, will you? But you know what happened? Was he, he, he's a great coach. And he had, had this specific playbook, but a lot of his players ended up graduating from Lexington High School, staying in this area, and becoming coaches at other high schools in the same area. And so you know what? They knew Bailey Harris's playbook. And you get to playoffs, you get towards the state finals and stuff like that, they would go back to their high school careers with Bailey Harris, and they would know this is what he's going to do, and then they'd beat him. And I was thinking about that this week. We didn't know Satan's playbook. His playbook is to get us in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and to get us to live in pride. We need to stop that and say, I'm not going to keep falling to his same plays against me. I'm going to be smarter than that. I'm going to be wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, and I'm not going to be unaware of his strategies and schemes, and I'm going to wise up. Amen? Then the last verse, great verse. It says, again, and the world is passing away, and also its lusts, but notice, this is the eternity part. The one who does the will of God, what? Abides forever. Here's, here's, here's the key here. If we're not going to live in the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, we need to realize there's an eternal perspective to this whole thing, right? We're not living for this world because we're not citizens of this world, we're citizens of what? Heaven. That's why we're seeking first his kingdom and righteousness, because this, this world ain't our home, and the darker this world gets, the more I say, praise the Lord, we're not spending the rest of eternity in this world. We have a heavenly home, and it's calling us home. And in the meantime, we need to be citizens of heaven here on earth. The Bible actually says we're just supposed to be aliens here. E.T., call me home, whatever that is. We are just aliens in this foreign world we're living in because this ain't our home. Heaven is our home. A couple quotes I read on that this week kind of spoke to me on that. One said, to be consumed with this life is to be unprepared for the next. Isn't that good? Another quote I read this week was by St. Augustine. He said, hey, hold fast to Christ For you, he became temporal. He became temporal, entering this temporary world. For you, he became temporal so that you might partake of eternity. Amen? So what are the five tools? How are we going to win this war? How are we going to have victory in Jesus? Number one, first tool. Go back. Jesus Christ is our what? Advocate and propitiation with God the Father. Don't have to live in guilt. you got an advocate. He's going to stand before a holy God. He's going to represent you. And he's going to say, this one is mine, Father. And Father, remember, I died for him. Second, second principle for victory. Develop a spirit of obedience. 
through your knowing Christ experientially in intimacy. Grow in that relationship, that abiding relationship with Christ, and may it move in your heart to say, I want to live for him because he died for me. Number three, live in Christ's love. Why is that important? Because if you're really loving God and loving people, you're going to keep his commandments. Number four, let the word of God, what? Abide in you. Delight in God's word. Hunger for God's word. Be people of the word, man. Hear God's word taught as much as you can. Study God's word. Read God's word. Memorize God's word. Get it in the DNA of your soul, man. And the word of God will abide and you'll be strong and you'll overcome the evil one. And number five, very important, stop loving what? The world. Don't live in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. Hey, because it has nothing to offer that will be good. It will eat you up and spit you out. It's nothing, nothing. Some of you might be here this morning and you say, well, I've been loving the world. I've been getting pulled into this world system and it's just been having me for lunch. You know what the answer to that is? 1 John 1.9 again, last week. Confess your sins. He'll be faithful. He'll be just. He'll forgive. He'll cleanse. And he'll help you get back on the path of living for Christ and not the world. That's the way to live. Man, and it gets back to Jesus loves you so much that he says in his word, he's going to say later in 1 John, hey, his commandments are not burdensome. They're not there to lay a trip on you and to burden you. His commandments, his book here, is to bless us. But we reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. But we sow to the spirit, we're going to reap eternal life and blessing. So let's choose blessing. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, God. Thank you that your word abides in us. And as your word abides in us, God, we're strong. And we're going to overcome the evil one, God. And I pray for each one of us here this morning, God. First of all, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for those times that we get sucked into this world system and we give way to the lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, and even pride, Lord. Forgive us for that. Help us to be people that seek first your kingdom and your righteousness so you can add all things unto us, Lord. Help us to be people that want to do justice and to love mercy and that just want to humbly walk with you, our God. And Father, I pray too that you help us to be people that overcome the evil one in these areas of not loving people, God. I think that's a real source of our sin. Oftentimes, we're just living in our selfishness instead of sacrifice, Lord. Oftentimes, instead of being selfless, we're being selfish. Help us to repent of that too, Father. Help us to be people that get back just to loving you with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength, and loving our neighbors ourselves. Fill us afresh, Lord, with your love. May your love just be poured in our hearts even this morning, God. And help us to remember the depth of your love for us, Lord. That you sent Jesus to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for your righteous requirements on the cross. You demonstrated your love for us while we got sinners. Christ died for us. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Help us to live in that love even this week, Lord. Help us to love people sacrificially, selflessly this week, God. 
Help us to be keeping your commandments too because, man, we love you and we love other people. And Father, I pray too for this area of just walking in righteousness, Lord. We fail so often, but we thank you, Lord, that a righteous man falls seven times, but we're going to rise again. We're going to keep going forward, Lord, progressing, pressing towards that upward call that you have for each one of us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for all you're doing here at Calvary Chapel. I sense, Lord, that you're moving. You're doing some great things in this church, Lord. Just even this women's conference this weekend, I sense your Holy Spirit just moving among our ladies. And Lord, I pray for revival. I pray, God, that that power of your Spirit might be just going forth from this place, that we might be a city set on a hill, Lord. We might be that bride of Christ, that body of Christ you called us to be, Lord. Help us to live that out as a church. Help us to be your hands and your feet, Lord, your body. And Lord, I pray that we'd represent you well too, Lord. And God, I pray too that, again, we'd be people that stop loving the world and all the stuff of this world. And we just love you instead. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, 